everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. Welcome to episode 50. Very, very excited to be here. It's a known fact that most podcasters give up before episode 50, and of course, we were not going to do that here. And so I went to Twitter and said, who should we have on for episode 50? And of course, the one and only Kyle Sherman, founder and CEO of FlowHub, was nominated over and over and over again. Kyle, finally, we're here for episode 50. We made it. I feel honored to be your 50th guest on this world-class podcast of yours, Carson. Congratulations for making it to 50. And now we have to make it to 100, so maybe you can come back on for 100. I'll be here for 100. I'll do it. You definitely will. I feel like I've known you for 100 years at this point. At this point, I feel like in cannabis years, it's been over 100 years. When did we actually meet for the first time, do you think? I, I, I actually don't really remember. Um, I feel like the first few years of I got it. I got it. I got it. It, Yes. You're where was the office downtown that was kind of like a lot of different offices with like a hall with like a kind of a gross carpet. Oh yeah. The the oil stained carpet. That was our, one of our first offices. That was the Sims building on Champa on 16th street, downtown Denver. Yes. So you were there. You came to visit us in our, that, that was the oil stained office. That was our second office there in that building. I remember in the early days being in our small little office, looking down the hallway at what well, they were all really kind of crappy offices back then, right? But I was looking down the hallway at this other office. And I was like, one day we're going to move into that vacant, that vacant suite. And I remember seeing the oil stained carpet and I was like, eh, we could put a, another carpet over that carpet, a little area rug from Ikea, no problem. Uh, but that became such a joke in that office. And like, it just got dirtier and dirtier. Like after we had moved in there, that oil stain, like attracted more dirt. It was so gross. Yeah. I can't believe I remember that oil stain, but so wait, what year would, what year would that have been then? So that must've been like 2016 maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jordan Smith, who was our first hire myself and Kendall, I don't know if you remember Kendall Keller, all three of us came and you hired us to help you find sales roles. And at the time we were in, um, the, we work on Platt street, right That's next right. to Baker with Joel and everybody. And so we came over, you told us who, you know, you wanted to hire and we went back and we started filling sales roles for you. So I'm pretty sure that was the first time we met. We came in to pitch you. That's a good memory. I, I really like it's So there's so much happened back in those days. We were very early, Carson, if you think about it. I got into the space in early 2014, started Flow Hub in early 2015. And that was like 2060. So we were like, that was like very early cannabis. There was like one legal market that was Colorado. I think at that time, right? Washington maybe had just legalized too. Wow. What memories. Wow. Well, back up for people that don't know, how did you decide to start Flow Hub in 2014 and officially launch in 15? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, you know, so in, um, I was living in LA for almost a decade. In fact, I did some podcasting myself, Carson, back in the day. Um, but I, I watched. Did you make it to episode fifty? We were. We, I probably was a five six hundred episodes. Shoot, I got a ways to go. So we, we like we did we did this every day. I mean, it was a full for years uh, a thing. Um, we had a lot of different shows. Anyway, that, that, let's let's talk about cannabis. But um, <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> I was in LA and I watched cannabis boom out there, and I, I really couldn't believe seeing that industry scale. And uh, at one point out there, I was prescribed antidepressant medications, some pharmaceuticals. Also, some anti-anxiety meds, benzodiazepines, if you've ever heard of them. Xanax and Klonopin are, are these benzodiazepines. Um, SSRIs were the uh, antidepressants. And I, I realized after about a year and a half of being on these meds, I shouldn't have been on them, right? Like, they did, they did not work for me at all. 
I felt like a completely different person, lost my entrepreneurial drive, felt very just different and and actually like more depressed being on these medications than off of them. Um, And I ended up discovering cannabis, high CBD cannabis, particularly Harlequin was the strain. So I got my recommendation out there, fell in love with cannabis as a medicine. I was able to, to use cannabis to get off of everything. All those pharmaceuticals took about a year. It's very painful to get off of, of, of pharmaceuticals, by the way. I always say a prescription is like a subscription. It's the best recurring revenue business. You get on those things, it's so hard to get off. Anyway, fell in love with cannabis, moved to Colorado because I wanted to be at ground zero for the future of cannabis, which was obviously going to be adult use. And adult use at the time came with a bunch of regulatory rules and structures that um, I wanted to I wanted to figure out how to solve problems around. Because I, I my, my bet back then was, and this was like 2013, was that if, if we had moved to Colorado, we figured out how that worked, we could help legalize cannabis by building some sort of you know regulatory aid for for businesses. Well, I wasn't really sure if it was going to be software or what, but ended up moving uh, to Denver. On day one, I recognized a guy named Trip Kieber. Yep. Literally, like from the, I had done all this research. So I ran up to him. I mean, literally, we got into Denver, got out of the car. My wife was pregnant with our first daughter, and uh, her due date was 420, by the way, which was crazy. Uh, and so she was, she was actually running, born on 420. She actually was born like at midnight, 420. And so her birth certificate's 421. And then my son was born many years later, 419. How weird is this? That's crazy. So, so anyway, so like my, my wife is like running up the street with me, like holding her belly and you know, she's like eight months pregnant at this point or, you know, seven months pregnant. Like it was just like late later on, right. In the pregnancy. And we're like rushing up the street. I, I, I'm like trip, trip. And he's like, what, how do you know who I am? You know? And so I ended up asking trip if I could work for him. I was like, I'll work for free for you. I want to, I want to understand how Dixie elixirs works. They were the first big edibles company. So he invited me into Dixie elixirs. I did marketing for them, learned how they worked. I met I, uh, Justin, the, the founder and CEO of weed maps at the time, ended up doing some marketing work for them. And then, uh, met a guy at a weed maps party named Matt Berger, uh, who created a strain many years prior called Bubba Kush. You may know it as Bubba Kush pre 98 Bubba. Uh, and, and so I asked him if I could run compliance for him because I had been reading all the rules and this was early 2014 still. And, uh, and Matt, let me come work for him. He ended up paying me 15 bucks an hour. So I was very grateful to have a little bit of cash in my pocket. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I figured out there at the grow facility in the store that software really was where I wanted to build. And that was the beginning of coming up with flow hub. As I was working inside those facilities, I realized that if, if we were going to scale this industry, we needed software back then our teams had to report to what's now called metric Back then it was called MITS uh, manually. So they literally had like, I had a team of people writing down tag numbers and did that, you know, like, and we had to go back and report them. So I built a prototype of what's now called our NUG. And you could scan and plant tags and report them through macros automatically into, into the MITS interface. And I went to the state regulators and I said, guys, open up an API to this thing. And they were like, what's an API? What are you talking about? You know, I was like, well, we can send this data to you automatically. It's like magic. And the government was like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. The Department of Revenue was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I yeah. don't think that's what we need to do. Uh, and then I talked to Jeff Wells from Franwell, and we eventually got an API, founded FlowHub officially in, in uh, January 2015, raised money 
uh, from Poseidon, and then you know the rest is history. Was Poseid- Poseidon was the fir- Poseidon was first round, twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen, were first round. I can, in fact, I met Emily. Rider dies. Rider dies. I think we were their fifth investment, and in, in, out of their first fund at Poseidon. But I met Emily at a Mass Roots. Oh yeah. Mass Roots was a social network. Yep. Kind of for cannabis back in the day. I met I met her at a pitch event. I didn't pitch there, but I showed up, and then I went to her afterwards. And I, I had this idea that's I think like fairly good. And, uh, and I'm working on it and she's like, Oh, that's actually kind of interesting. And, um, I'd built, I'd been building a team. So this was like October, 2014 or something. So it was like, I want to say it was January 15. I founded the company officially. And then it was like by March, I had closed $500,000 from friends and family, including Poseidon and Master Roots was an early investor. Kind of wild to think about how much has changed since those days. But that, that was like the early early innings of the industry and then like quickly pivoted to, to doing retail. And at the time, $500,000. I remember when you guys raised that, I remember just thinking to myself, what could anyone possibly do with $500,000? Like, can you imagine having $500,000 to build your business? Uh, it just seemed like at the time, so much capital. Well, we blew through that, Carson. Yeah. Uh, and- you know, we were like, it took us about a year of building and then we were almost out of Which is cash. pretty good seeing as think, well, well, if you think about it, Fast forward to, we'll get to the reality today, but you know, I'm sure we both had months where we burned at least 500,000 in a month. And so when you think about having 500,000 last for a year, you're like, wow, we were scrappy back then. I mean, I think our highest burn month was like 1.5 million at one point. Yeah, it's scary. We burned like a million and a half dollars, <laughs> which is like, like you know, we're, we're not in that position at all anymore, right? We're in a much better spot. But those early days when you're building, like- any dollar counts, right? You're just every dollar. You're like, please, I, it will help me on this journey. Um, because like, you, you know, you don't know how you're going to price. You don't know how you're going to go to market and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and like how many customers you are going to have, you have no data to work with. You're like, you're, you're literally building the foundation. We had built a prototype, integrated it with now what's called metric. They were the first integrator back in the day, right? And and like so, we launched that in 2016. I think probably when you visit us at the office. Yep. yep. Right around that time, we launched Point of Sale, and uh, and that really took off. Like we couldn't believe how fast that grew. I drove around door to door around Colorado with with Lindsay, my wife, and uh, we just would go into dispensaries and let them know, hey, you can push the metric automatically now. You know, you just press the button, and it would show, and they'd go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? What an innovation! So we closed a lot of business. Raise some more capital. So, what was that? The, the true, the true seed round in 2016. Yeah, like that. The, the 500 thousand was like a pre-seed. Pre-seed, pre-seed. Yeah, yeah, I guess is what I'd consider it now. Um, then we kind of had like a real seed, which is about three million that we raised in 2016. I want to say, and it was really and hard. I remember that too. That was crazy. I raised like half in the beginning of the year, and then because Trump ended up becoming the nominee and like, you know, you go through that whole, uh, you know, that whole election process, like people were wigged out. I mean, I remember that was like a cannabis winter. It was our first cannabis winter where people were like, Oh, this is going to get shut down. Well, Jeff, I remember Jeff Sessions and, and I remember just reading the yes. horrifying articles at, at that year. And I think at that time, Ryan was like raising his seed round too. And so both of you guys were kind of close and then Trump was elected. And I remember both of you telling me like, Oh my God, this is totally blowing my blowing my round up. Yeah. We had to like re- change our price towards the end of the round and like issue more shares to the people that put like, I was like, Oh, let's just like, we'll just drop our valuation a bit, which is probably like 
the right thing to do because it worked. But yeah. Thanks, Trump. I remember, yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you, Trump. I remember Ryan Smith, though. That's right. He was also over at LeafLink. <laughs> he had just started the company too. Man, those early days were were really, were really hard. Wild. Yeah, wild, totally wild. And then like, I remember, you know, we, we were, I, I went on CNN and at one point I said that we let our, our employees use cannabis for brainstorming sessions. Oh yeah. And that went viral globally. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel was talking about <laughs> us in his monologue and it was like, I, I remember thinking like, this is, cr- this is the craziest industry. Right. And I was just trying to be a little radical with, you know, I wanted people to rethink, well, if we let, if we let people drink in the office at 5 PM on a Friday, why can't they use cannabis? It's just another intoxicant. It's probably a better intoxicant. Right. Uh, and so Anyway, like the, man, those days were so much fun. I do miss them actually. Like I, and you know, looking back, I, I miss them a lot because we didn't know what was going to actually happen. But I, I think about that sometimes I think about, but I don't know if just whenever you look back on years, if you look back with rose glasses, but whenever I think about Vangst, I think about 2016, 2017, 2018. I mean, all of our companies were just growing so quickly, but in yeah. the moment itself, I don't feel like I appreciated how awesome it was to have so many great tailwinds, right? We all started companies that needed to exist and it was so easy to sell. Like I, I think about, I think about how good our sales team is now and how probably bad our sales team was then yet it felt easier to sell then than it does now. It's a fair point. I actually like, I guess the same same, 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 actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I remember like there were some brutal years in there. Like we almost ran out of money a couple times. Like there, I remember crying to Lindsay and she had to like console me, you know, and be like, Hey, it's literally going to be okay. Like you're good. You got this. And I remember being like, you know, this is you know, sometimes it's really helpful to have a good partner in life, but I, you know, boy, those were some rough years, Carson, thinking back actually at like some of the downs, right? It was like, talk about, you know, that chart you see where it's like success looks like it's just a straight line to the, up to the right. But those years, I mean, right. But behind the scenes, they, behind the scenes, it was like absolute struggle. I mean, walking through mucky, you know, deep quicksand and, and like just trying to, trying to make things happen. And, you know, there were great things happening at the same time, but like, you know, investors have always struggled in this space. I almost in, uh, raised a bunch of money one year and it all fell apart in the 11th hour. And we like almost ran out of money, you know, like it was, I remember one time, I remember one time pre, so we didn't, we didn't have, we were way behind you guys on raising money. We never raised until 2018. And so in 2017, you know, we didn't have an AR person. And so revenue started, you know, picking up. And so we started hiring some people, but we did not have a good collections process. And so our bills and our payroll was adding up. And in theory, we could afford it, but we weren't collecting. And so I was like, saw that in two weeks, there was no way we were going to be able to make payroll. And at this time, you know, I was like 23 or 24, didn't have a house, didn't have a car, didn't have any of my own money. And I remember literally opening up credit cards and most of the limits were ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 and taking out a cash advance to get to like 30 grand to make payroll. And just like that, that is some wild West. That is, that is so like, I feel like that is like cannabis 2017 in a nutshell. And of course I had to open the credit cards in my personal name. Cause you probably couldn't even get a credit card. And these were like some sketchy discovery card things. You know what I mean? It's so funny to think back to those days. I mean, that's, that's such a ballsy move. It's such a founder move. You like have to do what it takes. And it's like, you're living right on the edge, the precipice of the precipice of death 
all the time, right? If things just don't go right or you don't make it happen, you know, here's what I learned though in those years is that like as a founder, you can kind of just make magic happen as long as you're super focused on success and you're like, I will find a way around this barrier. There's always a way. You just kind of have to have the, the uh, energy to solve the problem. And if you, you know, have a lot on the line, you're just going to solve the problem. It's like, I remember when we almost ran out of cash, couldn't make payroll. It was like, you know, we lost this round of financing. We like couldn't get that. And, you know, by Monday we couldn't make payroll. And it was like towards the end of the week. And I had to call some friends and rally some loans. And I was like, I promise you, I'll pay you back. I mean, of course I, at the time I had no idea how I was going to pay them back, but I was like, I will just find a way to do it. We're growing. We've got revenue, you know, maybe we were at a, you know, 2 million in revenue, annual revenue back then or something. So it wasn't a lot, but it was, it wasn't zero. And we did, we like ended up raising a huge, it was like a $23 million round or something like a month and a half later, two months later. I don't even know how. Paid them all back. Paid them all back. Did it and kept on going. And uh, what do you think? What I, I, I think. That there's a certain level though of founders who are like really diehard and will do these things to run through walls and then entrepreneurs who just want to talk about being a founder. And I feel like the people in the early cannabis days were like really diehard. Yeah. Well, you had to be because there was no, I mean, there were certainly, I, re, I recall there being a lot of people around in the early days that wanted to do a lot of things. They talked a lot, a big game, uh, and of course, there was no merit to kind of the the business that they were trying to start or talk about, you know. But there were a to- you're spot on. There were so many entrepreneurs in those early days that were just willing to to break down every barrier in the way. I think that was also like that community was so cool. Um, you know, you still have it somewhat, but it's like when you're when you're building not just a company, but you're assembling an industry. There is this really interesting community, this early stage community that like develops and you know who's playing the real game early on very quickly. You're like, oh, this person's obviously in it to win it. And, and, you know, look, like you can tell who's focused on themselves and then who's focused on building for customers, you know, be it for consumers if you're a dispensary owner or dispensaries if you're a grower, you know, plus consumers, right? Or if you're us uh, on more of the tech side, you know, you're working for your customers. We were certainly working for our customers. I think like that's what made, that's the, that was like the delta between those groups was like, you had people that were just wanted to be like Canna famous and like, you know, talk, <laughs> talk big game. And you had other people who were like, no, we're going to build this industry and we're going to do whatever it takes. <laughs> talk about, all right. So we kind of got over that early day hump. And like you said, then you raised 23 million and you did some other rounds, you know, we did a, we did a $10 million series A, $19 million series B. So both of our, I think both of our mindsets kind of changed. It went from like, okay, we're definitely going to make payroll next week, uh, next year, who knows, but we're definitely going to make payroll next year. I mean, next week. Um, like what did the problems become for you then? Because I know what the problems became for me then. And I think they were equally as hard, but when you're not worried about running out of money every single day, what are you worried about? Well, you know, a big one when you raise all that capital is you got to hire people because there's like suddenly there's like growth expectations, right? Like you better grow faster than you were. So you better hire a bunch of people to help you do that. And, um, you know, the more people you hire, uh, gosh, you know this better than anyone, Carson, you're in recruiting, right? Like 
uh, the more problems you have, right? There suddenly becomes like, you know, you hire people that maybe don't fit the culture you're trying to build. And then, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so if you have people who are bringing down your A players, um, it, and, and, but you're, you're kind of growing so fast. In some ways, it's artificial at the time because you're like pre-setting up for growth while you're growing, right? And so it's this re- really weird dynamic where you can't always catch those people. And so like, I remember a huge problem that became apparent was like just culture. Like I, I made some really bad hires, you know, I'm sure they're great people, but they flow hub, our company wasn't right for them. And I remember that being, but not knowing right away that I made those bad hires. It's really easy in hindsight to go like, oh, obviously the, like I, we just shouldn't have hired them. Right. But it's like, it doesn't work. That it's life isn't like that. Right. In the moment, there were reasons you make the decision to hire those people. So I remember that Carson was, uh, uh, you know, in those days of having a bunch of cash, those were the problems. Also, like, it's interesting, you get a lot of influence from your investors who are like, you you better, you got to do this stuff. And, and sometimes <laughs> as a founder, right, you like feel unnatural about what they're telling you. But as a young founder, right at the time, I was probably like 20, I started the company, when I was 26. You know, started thinking about it when I was 25, right? So like, I, I was still pretty young and not that experienced in life generally, right? So you know, you listen to them. You go like, okay, yeah, I guess we should hire like a ton of people. That's a great idea. Even though like your gut might be, might be telling you otherwise. And so you like go, like, I remember those couple of years there, I was like going against my gut in different areas. Now still all's all worked out, right? I've stuck to my truth, but boy, looking back, did I learn so much about like what to do and what not to do? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and I also think for us, I felt that tremendously. I felt like our investors invested this money in, in, you know, our investors were saying like, we got to hire people from Indeed, ZipRecruiter, LinkedIn. Um, and for us, it actually, what I've found is hiring people from these gigantic corporations hasn't been the way. The people that have done the best here are actually the people who start out in an entry-level job learn our business and grow up with us. Those are the people that were the best. And so I went down this trail of raise the money, hire really senior expensive people and let them figure it out. And I've learned that nobody cares about your business as much as you do. And you can throw bodies at problems, but they're probably not going to fix it. And I want to grow from within now. And I would do anything to go back in time and relive that. Because I think like a lot of times investors just kind of pattern match. So they think, oh, Indeed's a successful job board. Bank should hire someone from Indeed. Well, Indeed has like 50,000 employees that work there. So, you know, it's just a very different, <laughs> it's a different company. It's a different company. Yeah. It might be a job board, but it's not the same type of company. Like, right. right. I, I think, you know, and also like we're in cannabis, which is still a nascent industry. So it's like very vertical specific, right? We're, this is not some like giant horizontal global industry. We're not right. like, like there's so many specific nuanced things. If you don't really care about this industry in some way, you don't have to use weed to smoke cannabis to like be in the space, right? It's not what I'm saying, but it's like, if you don't connect deeply with the industry, you know, maybe it's like better if you're a libertarian, you know, like you're kind of like free markets and you know, you're, you're kind of like personal freedom. You don't want the government telling you what you can and can't put in your body. Like those qualities end up being a lot of times, I mean, you have to mix this with your, your, abilities, right? But like those qualities end up way outweighing if you've like worked at Indeed or worked at Square. I mean, it's great, 
but like it doesn't necessarily like work in this industry and in our our size of business. Totally. I heard a good thing the other day that was like, it would be like two parents talking and them saying, you know, um, we just did this thing for our two-year-old and it worked great. So you should do this thing for your two-year-old and it will work great. It's like trying to have a different parent give you advice on parenting. Nobody knows your kid better than you do, right? Just because it worked for one kid and they're still kids. And they're still kids. They're all kids. So it sounds like we had the same experience on that of raising money, uh, taking advice from investors probably to like it was the Bible. Um, and I think we're both people pleasers. And so we obviously yes. wanted to do right by our investors and, and take their advice. But at the end of the day, I, I actually think that that now it's like I like to absorb all the information and try to figure out what I think will work best for banks. Anything else that you, just when you look back on um, the craze of, I guess, 2020, 2021, and that we'll, we'll get into 2022, that you wish you could have done differently or lessons you learned? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, look, I miss being in an office, right? In, in February uh, 2020, I, I made the call. I remember talking to Lindsay. You know, we had this awesome headquarters in downtown Denver. You know, it was probably way over what we, what we needed. There was no oil stains on the carpet there. It was gorgeous. It was Slack's old headquarters. I mean, we had Flow Hub propaganda down the, the, the street. There was right by, the, by Coors Field where they played baseball. It was right across the street from Union Station. So the hottest part of downtown Denver um, made recruiting easier. It was just a great spot. We had our own built-in coffee shop. I mean, this place was so cool. It was such like a- It was great. It was such a VC-backed tech company spot unnecessary in the grand scheme of things, but it was great. It was really great morale booster. Anyway, the point is, uh, during that time, we were at this office for probably less than a year, and then COVID happens. And you know, I remember Lindsay uh, you know, talking to me and saying, hey, this is not going to be a, a, like a short thing. This is going to be a multi-year thing. And I thought, well, interesting. So I started to look at other pandemics, and I was like, yeah, wow, that this actually very well could be a multi-year thing. That That's crazy to think about. What does it mean for the company now? You know, what do we need to do to respond to it? So I thought, you know, we could be remote. I mean, there's companies like GitHub who've been fully remote since inception. Why couldn't we be remote? Uh, in fact, maybe you know, we had bad, some bad hires at this point, whatever. Maybe I could hire people from all over the place. Like maybe that'll make <laughs> recruiting even easier, right? Like that's kind of cool. Well, like why not experiment? So we did a two-week experiment and then never went back to the office. We just kept doing the experiment. We were like, this actually is working really well. Um, of course, there were struggles and people, you know. And you moved to, to Hawaii, like, right? Yeah, yep. Moved to Kauai, the North Shore of Kauai in April of 2020. Part of that was to see what it would be like to be really remote. I wanted to be like, can I run a company from like a very far away spot? The other part of it was I like did not spend much time with my kids and my wife <laughs> for years. And I was like, that'd be kind of cool to be holed up in Hawaii for a while. How, how was it? And could you run a company from Hawaii? And how was the time? It was fine. It actually worked out really well. Like it was great. I mean, you know, without getting into too many details, like I had a really nice like work environment, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was, it was super cool. I uh, had a lot of founder friends that were also, they, they happened to have lived there. Uh, spent a lot of time there pre-pandemic. So it was like we had a community of founders, which was really cool. And, and that was part of it. We wanted to be in an environment where uh, our three kids could thrive without having to deal with masking and other things as well. So like there was a bunch of reasons, and we, and, and which was like kind of nice. 
you know, literally like ate from the farmer's market every week. It was, it was interesting. It was a really cool period of time, but it was easy to work remotely. Actually, that's what I figured out. I was like, wow, if I wake up at three 4 o'clock, which I'm a morning person. So it's, I know it sounds ridiculously early, but it's, it, it, you know, worked out. I'd wake up, I'd go to bed like right when it got dark. So I was in bed by seven or whatever, right? Seven thirty-eight. I mean, it was farmer's hours. So I'd wake up in the morning early, open my laptop and start working. And it would, it would like line up well with time zones. Um, right. I would say like after a year, a little more than a year, I was like, I wanted to travel to see customers again. I think that was the hardest part is like, I missed getting into the dispensaries. We right. had one on Island. That was it. So like, well, I wanted to go like see customers at scale. I wanted to go meet with the owner yeah. of XYZ dispensary in Michigan or go to California, go to Massachusetts and couldn't do that easily from, from Kauai. So we ultimately like so moved you back. Came back. So you came back. Okay. Came back after yeah, a year and a few months or whatever. Right. Um, moved back to Colorado. But the company has stayed remote. The company stayed remote this whole time. We're not yet. Yeah, we, like we have people in Boston. I have executives in Boston in Dallas in California. We've got people across the entire U S at this point. And it works like, it works. We just, we had a meeting yesterday here in Colorado with a bunch of execs who flew in. We'll be in Dallas next week. We'll be in Winter Park the week after. And so we see people, you know, in person with relative frequency, teams get together uh, in different regions. And like, so, so, you know, it's working. I just, I personally miss being in the office as a founder, Carson. That's like what I mean. Like I, yeah, I, miss, like, I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I could not do it. I, um, I think some companies it works for and some doesn't. It was not working for us. And so we're back in Denver. And I've actually made it pretty clear. Like, if you want to, we're not going to draw the line and say you have to move to Denver in order to work here. Like I've seen some companies do because we did hire some people throughout the pandemic who weren't here. But actually last week on our all hands, I said, like, if you want to move up here, we need you to be here because it's so hard. I think it's actually harder doing what we're doing than what you're doing where everyone's remote versus right now, maybe 60% of the company is here and 40% is not. So it's just like, you know, I walked down the, I, you know, just now two engineers sitting in the middle of the room showing me the, you know, this, this new thing that's about, that's about to launch. I made a couple edits, came running in here to get on the podcast with you. We've got uh, an AR meeting after this. And we got like some customers that we literally need to pick up the phone and start calling. And so like, for me, I just like need to be around the team. Um, and I just like, wasn't loving remote, but I've heard some people that are loving remote. I really think at the end of the day, it's like up to the founder and what the founder thinks is going to make the company the most successful. Yeah. I think like, look, my next company will probably go back to being in person with some remote, some sort of hybrid right. uh, scenario. I have to say, remote wasn't easy to, to, to move into this motion. The company went through a, an, an amazing transformation. One, we killed our old platform. So we had to rebuild a brand new platform. That's Flow Hub Maui, the name inspired by let's, Maui. Yeah, let's Maui. talk about that. What, yeah, what, t t touch on well, that. I'll, I'll okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on this. So, so, like, here, so like, here's what had to happen, right? One, we had built a prototype of our software that scaled from the earliest days, as we talked about earlier on in the conversation. Eventually, when all these states have gone live, my bet early on was every state would just copy Colorado, like a carbon copy. It couldn't be f more wrong, right? <laughs> that was like a really wrong bet. Some stuff was right. Like they've, other states have mimicked Colorado in many ways. So it's similar, but they're all, every state's very different. And so at some point, a couple of years ago, I had to say, you know what, team, like we, we got to, we kind of, let's start fresh. If we were, as if we were a brand new company. 
We've, we've gone remote. Let's just rebuild the damn thing. Let's not talk about a, a slow rebuild where you take out this component or that component. Let's just rebuild it. Let's build it the way we want to see it. So I, I took a Skunk Works team, spun them off, and had them start building a new version of our platform. And while from I was scratch. doing that, yeah, from scratch, literally from like as if we were a new company. All the things that we knew, we and you know, I had people on the team for you know years at this point who like had all the feedback. And so we, we, we tested components along the way with customers, got feedback. It was a very iterative process. But I wanted to start a new company within FlowHub essentially. And I wanted that company to be the remote company. So all these people that were that we forced into remote life during the pandemic, like I realized most of them weren't probably going to work out long-term. So we would have to transform the company culturally while we were rebuilding the software to get to a point where we could be a remote company. Because if you're intentional of being remote, right? Like it's, it's, a, different, it's a different person that you, that you right. need on the team. Some people Not me. are adaptable. You're, you <laughs> wouldn't not. be on our team. You couldn't be on our team. Closer. Yeah, I couldn't, I wouldn't make it. I would not get hired. I would not make the cut. I would not be good. <laughs> but when you're thinking about hiring great people, those, you have to screen for people that are going to be self-motivated people that are maybe a little more introverted than you'd have in an office environment. Right. So you got to really think about the personas. Anyway, that's what we did. So we, we were, as we were building this new software as a skunk works team, we transitioned people out. We, I, you know, I did a couple rounds of layoffs over two years. You know, people say you got to do them all at once, not at flow hub. That was, that was not my choice. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I said, we're going to do this in stages and we're going to be really intentional about the people that unfortunately we have to let go and, and we're going to be really intentional with the people we hire. And we did this like very intentionally and it was done in such a way that it wouldn't disrupt normal working business. Because you can't just do it like I, I, every book you read is like, do it all at once. You know, it's not, it's like, no, maybe for that company, to your point, that, that kid, maybe that worked, but like, you've got to be really intentional. So that's what we did. And it was a multi-year process transformation as a transformation into now what is a profitable remote business. Let, let, let's talk about on um, in the same vein of layoffs, we get into profitability. And so we talked about how there was more, there was tons of money available in venture capital. And, and while the crazy thing is, is that despite what was going on in venture capital, it was still actually hard to raise money in cannabis, but you know, oh, it was never you, easy me, in our industry. It was never yeah. easy, but like no. you, me, the rest of our friends, we all did it. And so we, we we had cash and it seemed like we were all trailing towards the next round. So for us, we were trailing towards the Series C, same with you guys. And then all of a sudden, 2022, party stops. I think like Series B funding is down 98% year over year or something. And it's very quickly like you got to get profitable ASAP. And to your point, like you have months where you're burning one and a half. Uh, we were right up there too. How did you mentally think about like, oh shit, we are not going to be able to raise another round and we need to get profitable ASAP. Oh, and cannabis industry starts like going through a borderline crisis. Customers start closing. Nobody has any money. Nobody can pay their bills. It, it all starts down pouring in cannabis in 2022, 2023. So thankfully in 2021, it's probably mid year 2021, I started to build. So we had raised capital. We had raised like $19 million in 2021. And it was about mid-year that I started realizing that we would need to be, we need to be more efficient just generally as an organization. I, I actually didn't want to raise again, Carson. Like for me, at that point, I was just so tired of having to focus on fundraising over customers. 
And I, I thought to myself, if we can time all this right with Flow Hub Maui and the production of this platform and the transformation of the organization, we should be able to one, be more efficient and two, be in a better position to build revenue with a new system over a period of time. And we, we could probably be profitable. So I actually started thinking about this in 2021. I actually remember being at Trailblazers talking to you about this in Ojai, remember? Yeah, I do actually remember that. Yeah, and I was there with Leandre, our COO. Yep. And yep. Yeah, that was a that it was, was a right really when you cool announced event. that Jay Z invested. Yeah, that's right. We we announced it just right right before that. So yeah, it was like so so th- you know I was really focused actually at that point. You know, Leandre did this at Uber. You know, he was a GM there. It was really early at Uber. I mean, it was called Uber Cab when he started. He was there all the way until right around the IPO, and so he saw tremendous growth. But as one of their first GMs, uh, he. He uh, one of the things that stood out to me was that he, he built the first profitable region there, and so um, he really Leandre is an incredible business partner for me because he helped me really think about how can we start driving a profitability, and he joined in in 2021, and so really that journey started a little bit earlier than the market probably dictated it, but I really wanted to put ourselves in a position where we could be a really healthy business moving forward. How could we be here forever for customers? you know, not just until the next round is raised. And so, uh, you know, it was a multi-year process for us, but, um, you know, really, I I think for us, there's like two ways, right? Well, for any any company, there's two ways to get to profitability. And that is you cut expenses and you increase revenue. And so uh, for us, that's what we did. We cut expenses and we increased revenue. And we did that simultaneously. And it got us there, you know, I wouldn't say like quickly, but we, we got there. And now you're there living your profitable life. And now we're there. We have money on the balance sheet. We're profitable and we're going to be profitable for be here. hopefully a long time time to come. And yeah, that means that we're going to be here for customers. That means that like we don't have to, we can play a very long-term game. For years, I've been preaching, uh, you know, playing what's called an infinite game. There's a great book by James Cars uh, called Finite and Infinite Games that was written in the late 80s. And then uh, Simon, what's his name? Simon... Sinek or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? He wrote a book called The Infinite Game. Yeah. Same guy that wrote Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. Yeah. The why or whatever. Anyway, that, that guy wrote a follow-up to James Carson's book. It's called The Infinite Game. And it's really about how there's two different types of games in life. There's finite games, which is, you know, football, chess, right? There's shared rules about how to play the game together. And then there's a, there's a defined winner and a defined loser. The whole point of playing that game is to win based on the rules that were set forth by the, the players, right? Uh, so it's really easy to define what a finite game is. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a declared winner. And in an infinite game, there is no end. In fact, there's no real like beginning, really, right? It just kind of is. An infinite game goes on forever. And so the rules are different. You don't win an infinite game. You just are in it. And if you're not in the infinite, if you're not in the game, then you're, then you're out, right? So the only way to keep playing is to stay in the game, which means like being profitable, right? You're in the game. If you're in a relationship, that's an infinite game. It goes on and on and on. An infinite game. There's no winning. I'm getting married next week. So yeah, there you go. hopefully it's an infinite, hopefully. Yeah. Jeff, we're in this for the uh, infinite game. You're in the infinite game, right? So you, if you could identify what kind of game you're playing, you can you can actually set yourself up to play with, with the right rule set. Because, you know, what happens when you play an infinite game with finite rules is you end up killing yourself. I think there's players in this space that have, have done a good job of that. You know, they're playing what they believe is they're they're going to win, or you know, we're going to kill the other group, and it's going to be at all costs. And that, that 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 you know, but the problem with that mindset is that's not how business works. Business goes on and on. 
the problem of today is not going to be the problem of tomorrow, right? And so you can play an infinite game or you can play a finite game. You got to got to know what game you're playing. But the point is we're now going to be here for a long time. And that to me is a very proud thing because it means we can continue to serve customers for a long time to come. We don't have to like sweat that we're going to go out of business because we can't make payroll next week. Oh, it's awesome. And you don't have, you can, you know, I think the crazy thing about VC is that um, the VCs are pretty fickle. So one day they want you to have this metric and another, another. So when you're trying to think about, okay, what metrics do, what metrics do we need to reach to raise the next round? I mean, that can change all the time versus now you can just think about what do we need to build to make our customers happier to drive more revenue? And that's what you're focused on versus metrics that investors care about to raise the next round to stay alive. We're in the same camp and we're a little bit behind you, but we should be profitable hopefully in the next six-ish months if all things go right. So following in your shoes, but it's definitely a, um, it's definitely a mind shift change, but I think it's for the best. And yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to do the work that you did. So, so way to, way to set the stage. Last question. I know we're coming up on 40 minutes here. My last question is when you think forward to this coming year, things in Washington, election cycles, you know, what are you hoping for? What are you looking forward to? And, and but, but at the same time, what are you real, ex- realistically expecting? So look, I, I, I now, if you had asked me five years ago, I would have said next year we'll probably have legal cannabis in this country. You know, I thought we were actually getting close with the Trump administration at one point and then COVID happened. But look, I, I, I now look at it and go, how about we just like, don't worry about it. Who really fucking cares? <laughs> you know, like we've been here for nearly a decade in business in what is a federally illegal industry. And uh, we have a very broken government, clearly, because the uh, Gallup polls show that more than 70% of Americans want legal cannabis uh, in the United States. And, and here we are with illegal cannabis in the United States federally. And then, of course, like all these, the majority of states now seem to have some sort of cannabis legislation. And so uh, to me, I, I go, you know, who really cares? I, like, I obviously want cannabis to be legalized federally. We've spent a lot of time at, the, I've been invited to the White House and I've sat at the White House talking about cannabis banking. I've been meeting with senators for years about this, a lobbying. We've given a lot of money away uh, to play uh, the capitalism game here in the U.S. to try to influence policy. And that hasn't worked either. And so um, we're going to keep doing what we do best, which is just delivering for customers to help them build great businesses, great retail businesses, empowering the next generation of entrepreneurs here in the United States to build incredible strong businesses. If we do that, then eventually we will see legal cannabis in this country. And we'll continue to, to, to give. And we've got a great SCP program I'm super proud of. It was an industry-leading social equity program that we started years ago. We've now given away over $10 million of goods and services through that program. So we're going to continue to do all these things. If we do these things and build a strong industry foundation, then uh, we will see legal cannabis at some point. And that is one of my goals. But I'm, I'm not concerning myself with uh, uh, the, the details of policymakers because they, what I've realized now is they change all the time. You know, you could donate money to one and then they're the lame duck, you know, and then, they, then they're gone and then you got to do it all over again. And, and Absolutely. You know, I, I want to invest that money in our customers and our business rather than in, 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 into this and, broken and, machine. And I think building, just or to your point, building the business, assuming that something isn't going to happen on the federal level. And when it does, it's just icing on the cake. It's gravy for all of us. That's right. It's gravy, it's gravy for all these entrepreneurs. I, I think, you know, the, the way I think about it is 
Flowhub is a representative of a lot of small business in the United States. You know, we have some really big businesses who use our, our platform as well, but I, I, I oftentimes think about Flub as being a representative for a lot of voices that, that are, are, you know, might not be heard at the federal level. And, um, you know, there's, when this day comes, when 280E ends, when the federal government says, hey, you can take out an SBA loan to help, help your small business grow and, and as a cannabis entrepreneur, like that will be the day that I'm like just so happy for all these small business owners because- uh, they deserve to be able to it's tough for them. They, they deserve, deserve it. And, and, and they need those resources and, and, and those opportunities. And it's, it's a failure of our federal government. They don't today. So it's very bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's very broken, but I, anyway, I like, we're going to keep doing what we can uh, in the meantime to help them out. But it's just, I, I cannot wait to see their faces when cannabis is legalized at the federal level, you know? Well, it's going to be there and we'll, we'll be there for that day. So Kyle, I, I was just thinking about how many good, memories we have over the years. So I really appreciate our friendship and love that we can just pick up the phone and call each other. I mean, Kyle and I have called each other at very crazy hours and times and stressful situations, whether it be with yes. team members, customers, investors. Um, so I really appreciate your friendship. You got it. I appreciate yours, Carson. And thanks for having me on number 50. I'll be here for a hundred. If you want me on for a hundred, I'll be here. Number number 50, hundred percent. Episode a hundred, Kyle Tremblay back. <laughs> Kyle, if people want to follow you, how do people follow you? I've got a Twitter. So twitter.com slash Kyle Sherman. Uh, I thought it was called X. Oh, whatever. X.com slash Kyle Sherman. I don't know know anymore. I'm just, I'm such a dad now. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm on Instagram. If you want to follow pictures of my, me and my family and our journeys, Kyle Sherman 22. It's a good Instagram account. I love following. Well, Kyle, (laughs) Kyle Sherman on social media, LinkedIn, flowhub.com. Thanks for joining, Kyle. Thanks for having me on, Carson. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.